Hi, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Listening Society podcast. My name is Christina, I'm the host, and I'm very, very pleased to be um, joined today by Strabo. Strabo is a third year philosophy student at King's College London, and today we spoke about Paradise Lost, an epic poem in blank verse by the 17th century English poet John Milton. The first version, published in 1967, consisted of 10 books with over 10,000 lines of verse. A second edition followed in 1974, which was arranged into 12 books, in very much the manner of Virgil's Aeneid. The poem accounts the biblical story of the fall of man, the temptation of Adam and Eve by the fallen angel Satan, and their consequent expulsion from the Garden of Eden. I hope you enjoy this episode and please give us a follow on Instagram to keep up to date with episodes and updates on at the Listening Society podcast. Thank you and enjoy. I'm here today with Stravo, who's a good friend of mine from Millfield from the school. Um, We had the pleasure of studying history together and uh, Stravo is a what do you call you, a second or third year philosophy student at King's College We won't go into that, <laughs> but Strava, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so third year, so that, that gives year. me the degenerate status <laughs> there. That's, uh, <laughs> that's when you really reach the depths of gravity yeah. as a third year. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I, I hear that this is uh, very popular in, in Scandinavia. So it is, top I'm, 100. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad, I hope that Sven, on his fjord, is, is very happy. I hope so too. <laughs> this is uh, one opportunity to rest, to listen, to understand philosophical contemplation. Absolutely. In between his uh, lumberjacking duty. So Absolutely. Skull, Sven. I'm sure that some people are left confused at that recent um, <laughs> comment, but... Um, to bring everyone on the same page, um, the Listening Society podcast has recently been uh, awarded top 100 status in the Nordic countries. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, back to the philosophy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> um, so, we obviously had the liberty of choosing between any philosophical topic today, but um, since I'm writing my dissertation on The Paradise Lost by John Milton, um, we thought we'd discuss that. Mm. Um, and as Stravo said, the most interesting point of the book, books 9 to 12, um, is what I'm writing my dissertation on, but we also thought we'd discuss that bit. Um, any comments? Um, <laughs> well, um, Milton. Yeah. Um... Well, I, I haven't I haven't read the book in in some years, but I mm. I do remember the the, the closing lines of, of the epic. Go for it. Some natural tears they dropped, yeah, but wiped them soon. The world was all before them. Where to choose their place of rest and providence their guide, mm. and I think providence their guide. It's there, they are now the masters of their fates. Mm. They have left Eden, they have left the divine comforts of the garden. Yeah. And now they, they're faced with unimaginable turmoil and hardship. Yeah. And I think that is when 
humans become truly human. Yes. Because they they're suddenly they're they're suddenly placed into the the crucible of conflict Absolutely. and internal strife. They are no longer confined. Well, no, let's say garden. confined. Exactly. Providence is quite an interesting word. Yeah. Sort of biblical connotations. What do you think of that? Well, I think providence implies that there is some uh, predetermined future. Yeah. Or at least you can attempt to predict the future because providence has laid a guide for you to follow. Yeah. And the way, obviously, that I think. Eve and Adam. I mean, if I was Eve, I would have eaten the apple. It that is interesting. Yeah, okay. because I think it was. I think it was quite dull. Mm. I actually think I because they they what there was no they weren't human yet. They I feel like the characters aren't human. The, the only truly human character before they take the forbidden fruit is Satan. Yeah. And I think he's compelling. I mean, he wouldn't be Satan if he wasn't compelling. Yes. You know, that's his selling point. Absolutely. We all love Satan. No, he is this anti-hero, isn't he? He's almost, he's this fallen angel um, with, would you say, quite considerable agency, which maybe Mm. Adam and Eve do not have. Um, That's a whole other topic. Um, Go for it. Well, what what I find is it, it, it's interesting that you know the animals <clears> don't have souls, but they are slaves to their primordial instincts. Mm. Adam and Eve do have free will, but for most of Paradise Lost, they follow divine laws. Yeah, and and they're at, but Satan is the only character who follows his desires. And his and, and follows freedom and liberty. Mm. So, would you say then that actually, you know, Adam and Eve don't have free will in the same way that Satan does, because Satan is free from this divine law as, mm. uh, you know, as a fallen angel, as this anti-hero. Well, maybe not until the end, but you know, what do you think of that? I I think that's really you've really got yeah. to, you've really got to root it <laughs> here because I think we admire Satan's uh, uh, power mm. to cast off the shackles of divine law, yeah. and that causes him incredible strife because he realizes when he arrives on Earth that he still feels like he's in hell. Because yeah. hell is within him. Yes. And he has this terrible realization that he can never escape yeah. the fiery pits. The better to reign hell. in hell than serve in heaven. Yes, exactly. Yes, that and exactly <laughs> that, And you know, perhaps the fiery depths are internal. That's interesting. But he's reigning over them. Yeah. He has agency. So he has the he's usurped the passions in a way that yes. we don't see he's not, Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah. He's not d- Sh- shackled to anything, he's he's he is himself a divine, mm. and I think I think we love freedom. We love the concept of freedom, mm. and I think it's almost divine in its status yeah. as a concept. And I think that is the inherent love we have for Satan because mm. we see within him freedom, but we see what that freedom brings. Yeah, that is a really interesting point there, but you know scholarship has said that you know the fact that we do find ourselves at times sympathizing with satan Mm. just a kind of fact of our own fallenness 
Yes. Because we okay. do, you know, we sympathize. We want to condemn the God that, you know, imposes this divine law. And that we, we want to sympathize with the underdog, the anti-hero, mm-hmm. this kind of like unexpected mm-hmm. figure. So that's an interesting um, what, little thing there. I, I agree with I, I agree with the scholarship yeah. the prevailing <laughs> author that damn yeah. you. Damn you. <laughs> but, oh, I would I would say that uh, why what, surely we would have we, we sympathise with Satan and we did even before we were falling because mm. what was our motivation for eating of the tree of knowledge in the first place? Well, I, I suppose it's we, desire for knowledge. I desire think for d- desire for desire for morality in the sense that. You know, Eve was kind of beguiled by Satan in the sense that, you know, eat this eat this fruit and you'll know, you know, right from wrong, good from bad, in a way that God does. Mm. 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 But, yeah, <laughs> do you want to say anything on that note? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I, yeah. they, they, she definitely knows what she wants yes. after eating the apple, that's for mm. sure. I think feminists, they, that's, uh, that's the route that feminists... Uh, scholars take i know well sort of knowing what she wants and that really there was no way out when she gets into her sort of yeah. semi-drunk stupor <laughs> i don't can't resist her, her on that note <laughs> on that note she's a woman <laughs> on the proud is she dear god <laughs> no that's like the other end isn't it <laughs> In, that's the other side of the debate <laughs> going back to the the text mm. um i have an interesting question for you um and that is what do you think the difference here is between freedom and liberty if at all well i think that we need to understand the context in which the book yeah. was written mm. so milson was an english writer he received an impeccably good classical education yeah um and that was obviously a point in history where education was studied for its own sake and it wasn't meant to get you a good position. It was, you were meant mm. to focus on the most beautiful aspects of human creativity, yeah. which was Homer, Latin, Greek, Hebrew. Plato, he, Aristotle, exactly. who we can actually see very clearly coming through in this mm. piece of poetry. Yeah, the mm. structure is, yeah. is, uh, myth- is uh, pagan, it's yeah. like a pagan ethic. But, he, so he grew up uh, in in this in this world, and uh, he was blind actually. Like I heard, Homer. yeah. But he he saw the Civil War. He saw the English mm. Civil War. He saw Puritanism. He helped censor pure uh, material mm. under under Cromwell's government, yeah. and he survived the Restoration. So he lived in immense turmoil, and he lived in a very unique period of English history where the government transformed in an attempt to, uh, in accordance with Puritan values, but also values that uh, were echoed, uh, that, that were a distant echo of classical uh, of classical texts, mm. of freedom, of aletheria, of republicanism. So I think that when you talk about freedom and liberty in Paradise Lost, you have to understand that the times in which she was writing, these questions were incredibly prevalent. Mm. Um, I, I think he was very concerned with free will um, yeah. and yeah. human free will. And there does seem to be a, a, a prevailing contradiction because, of course, how, are we free from God? 
if we are, then he's not so powerful. If if we are free from him, Eden isn't pure in mm. its. Because, for example, I think the Eden is a, is a beautiful idea because we they see within it such purity of vision. You know, yeah. everything's so beautifully simple. No questions are asked. There, there is this harmony. You're totally satisfied mm. with with uh, with the external harmony, with internal harmony. And that implies you don't ask questions, you're not concerned. And I think Satan ultimately brings that human concern mm. up within uh, Eve initially. Yeah. He elicits that. There's, there's, there's an sorry, just before yeah, you kind sure. of... I think um, there's also this argument that, you know, is the Garden of Eden purely, uh, you know, at its very... Kind of, is it really pure if Satan can kind of infiltrate yeah. in there? Well, I think this is the thing. I think it, it's pure when you don't ask questions about it. It's mm. it's 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 not it's superficial. It, it's I think it's a state of uh, sublime ignorance right. because yeah. there was no there's not any there's no emotion that compels you to ask questions if you're living in a totally harmless uh, world. And I think there is no freedom there. I think it was only through Satan that Eve could experience what it feels like to wander, mm. to ask, to create turmoil in this perfect world. And only through asking questions can we uh, begin to grasp a sense of individual freedom because that, that that allows us to question our, our our reality, question our perceptions, to draw conclusions which are inherently based around our own reason, our own freedom, mm. our ability to think freely. And Eden, yeah. such a world, does not does not allow you to do that. Mm. It do, it's not a, it doesn't even allow you. You just don't want to, or there is no sense you need to. Yeah. Satan, Satan has to beckon it out. You know, yeah. what, what's this apple? Why does God not want you to eat it? Yeah. Come on, Eve, have a small bite of this yeah. delicious fruit. Yeah, that's um, really interesting. I think that's so, so, so. I don't know. I think I think that that might be one potential argument you could offer as to how we, we're sort of free in a way, but not. Hmm. But the, again, I think it's such a, it's such a, a challenging thing to reconcile the, the idea of freedom, but with omniscience, omnipotence, mm. omnibelevolence. Yeah, the idea of freedom with no need to reason. Mm. Um, yeah. But. That sort of seems quite counterintuitive. Uh, you know, living in this perfect world. Okay, maybe not having the need to be able to, you know, exercise the kind of reason of what is right and wrong good and bad mm. but then ultimately what causes the fall is you know not having that capacity yeah so mm. there's a lot of paradox there's a lot of juxtaposition and i and i would say what are they fooling from i mean mm. what i would say that i i don't think it's a fool i think it's an elevation a blossoming of the human capacity to ask questions. Wow, that's actually a very interesting reading of it. Yeah. I don't think it's a fool. I mm. think it's. Uh, Do you I think, think Milton had that intention as well? I think it's an awakening. Well, he says, as I as I said initially, uh, 
you know, some natural tears they dropped and like this. You know, yeah. The world was all before them. They could see the world. It yeah. was before them that they could ask questions about so they could look at their look at their perceptions without being totally uh, satisfied with them. The world was raw and it was terrifying and they, yeah. that's why they were crying. It's exciting. And it was fucking <laughs> exciting. And and and, and Pro Providence was, was their guy. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I think Sven, you know, he I would like to join Sven in the Eden of the Sford of the uh, of the Sfords, yeah. you know. He he's in an Eden in some ways, you know. Yeah. You know, Mr chopping the logs yes yeah the kind of like like you said um blind repetition the monoton mm. the monotonous aspect of life kind of just going and doing things without any real consciousness see i i think that's it sounds more eden for me sounds more like uh prison utopian 1984 yeah. Because the, the there are questions are uh, you, they try and create a, 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 in nineteen eighty four they try and create a society in which you don't even have the capacity to ask questions. And so do you think that's reminiscent of the time that Milton was writing? I I think I think that the the society in which he was alive was not uh, mm. uh, was not powerful. And the the government was not centralized enough to implement such uh such a uh, heavy uh you know uh influence over its citizens mm. obviously have you have you see their paintings like when did you last see your father there was immense religious snooping around within people's in internal skulls but mm. you know they they you know and there was torture but i i don't think they had the capacity to to create a society like eden where questions you don't even have the capacity to ask questions unless you have some external force outside the paradigm in which you exist yeah uh, provoking you to to look at your world in a more objective uh way you know satan's like some kind of demon in, in the shadows of human understanding and he comes mm. into into your stream of perceptions and thoughts and desires and he says look you, you have this stream of consciousness mm. but it's only facing in one direction how what how have you ever looked at the banks of this stream have you ever gone beyond it yeah. into the shadows of the unknown join me it's interesting. Yeah. I'll give you a torch. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Satan, Satan's role. Do you think Milton tries to kind of, with this whole story of Satan as a, as a fallen angel, do you think he tries to kind of provide a bit of reasoning for Satan? I think Satan's uh, desires are selfish. I think Eve's desires come from curiosity yeah but i think that ultimately i i don't know i haven't i didn't bother with the earlier books i can't lie to you Chris. I, yeah. I, I, I didn't read the rebellion the one. right <laughs> yeah i i just know when he i this read when he gets into hell you know yeah. when he sets up shop down bottom down yeah. under <laughs> Put the, put the shrimps on the barbie. Yeah. Uh, put the shrimp. Put the shrimp on the fires of hell. <laughs> Are you telling me that's an actual quote from Paradise Lost? That, that is from Milton himself. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you do? You think that 
do you um i mean this is yeah it's it's very it's very useful his mm. works his work is an incredibly high high form of mm. human creativity i think absolutely and well just touching back on what you said earlier about how it's so reflective of the kind of ancient greek epic tradition um particularly you know aristotle plato why do you think he chose to follow that tradition? Well, I think he had a contradiction himself because he, uh, being a Puritan, he believed that all real truths are found in the Bible. No other texts are really needed. I mean, this was the fanat prevailing fanaticism mm. that ran right through Puritan, uh, through Cromwell's England, and and there was a there was an extreme anti-intellectual uh, sentiments. So. He had to reconcile uh, the divine truths and how, by praying and analysing the Bible, you could reach all the truths you needed about the world without reference to other mythological or pagan traditions. Mm. But yet he drew upon those pagan traditions. He drew upon the structure of an epic. Mm. He drew upon... Uh, his own mind. He, he thought that his work was actually inspired by the muse. Is, the yeah. muse is, is called Urania. Urania, um, yes. Who is or the Uriel. muse of astronomy. Yeah, you, or Uriel. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know, do you know, have you done much research or reading the into the muse of, of astronomy in I, classical texts? I don't I do know much <laughs> about the, this specific muse, no. Mm. Unfortunately, not. I'm not. So, I'm not an authority on this. What on this specific uh, muse? But I do. I do. Um. I do. I do think Milton has has done a great. He's yeah. done a great service for, for human. Well, that's another thing. Absolutely. Um, I think something else I wanted to discuss was his initial project, which he set out. You know, justifying the ways of God to men. Do you mm. think that's ironic, in a way? Uh, yeah, he doesn't quite do that. Yeah. Anything. Why do you think he'd say that and not do it? Because what he, I think what he means, and I may be wrong about this, is that he's attempting to reconcile our ability to eat the fruits in the first place, our freedom with God. Mm. I don't know, Chrissy. I don't, don't know, know if he does it. I haven't. Yes. I don't know. Um, well, I, don't I think, think he does. no. Yeah, I think he does something different. Um, I'm not sure it's justifying the ways of God <coughs> to men. I don't know. It def certainly tells us about something about the ways of God. Does it justify them? I don't think so. Um, mm. I sort of agree with you on that point. Mm. Mm. I don't want to be smited down, but you know. God is a bitch. There's no escape for you. Famous last words. Yeah, exactly. I hope the walls of this recording studio are thick enough to hide me from divine. From, from the divine. I, I hope so as I well. Not, not from uh, Satan, apparently. No. He's, in, he's in the foundations of the building. He's <laughs> creeping up from underneath the room, tempting me to say these terrible things. Yeah. I, I to be honest, I, I think that I think Satan is I, I think Satan is freedom, but he's also quite animalistic. 
I do know. Mm. Well, he's a snake. He's well. a snake. <laughs> he's a hissing python. Yeah. Do you think there's any kind of significance in that? I think the pro the problem with Christianity as a as a uh, rational doctrine yeah. is that unlike Greek mythology, which it, it explored, like Milson does, all of the the faculties that the human possesses, reason, passion, love, our desire for bloodshed, and mm. explores all of them, and it doesn't necessarily place a moral judgment on those faculties. Yeah. Instead, it, sh it attempts to, for ancient philosophy attempts to, it recognises we have these desires and these faculties, and then it doesn't attempt to suppress them, as Christianity does. It, Greek philosophy attempts to uh, uh, provide us a guide mm. on how we can yeah. best uh, explore those, those those faculties and how we can explore them through virtue mm. and, and and tamper them and, and create excellence. So they, so they don't shy away from violence, for example, or wrestling. They think that competition is good in in, in philosophical dialogue and in and in war and peace. And I think. That, that desire to reconcile all of humanity and see it not as a contradiction but as a way to produce human flourishing to harmonize these mm. faculties that is why i love greece yeah. <laughs> that is why i love Greece. whereas christ unfortunately christianity sees our desire for uh for bloodshed uh well obviously they, they did have just war mm. theory they're, well, it is yeah. compatible to a degree, but there, for example, sin—the idea of sin mm. and lust and glutton and excess—the mm. Greeks understood you could have excess that desires could be pushed beyond the limits of what is good. Yeah, but I think the the Christians saw the the, the cardinal sins uh, as as inherently bad, but you know, a bit of glutton from time to time. <laughs> bit of debauchery I think is quite good because it mm. explores a part of the human soul. That's an excellent quote. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, will, I shall few, remember that. You just need a few <laughs> bottles of, of vodka and wine. Uh, yeah, I was going to say wine. Feast out, huge feast, Chris. <laughs> Where's the feast? I know? shall Where? take that in mind, I'll keep that in mind for the next episode. Yeah, do yeah, exactly. <laughs> can, so every few minutes you can hear some, you know, a, a lovely piece of, you know, I don't know, some, some meats of very, there's no, there's so many varieties of the animal <laughs> king. The animal kingdom will be collectively held hostage on this table. By, yeah, sounds uh, tempting. The, by glutton's <laughs> desire, you know. It's, uh, uh, who is your who is your favourite ancient Greek philosopher? I think Aristotle. I think it's very hard sometimes to understand because it's all lecture notes and you know, his students were dozing off, they arrived, they were pretty <laughs> pissed and you have you find this, his arguments building up these incredible tapestries of human yeah. creativity and suddenly they stop, they stop and another idea suddenly <laughs> works its way up for like a maggot from the woodwork and then he comes back to the original <laughs> argument and, and, and there's so many strands and different ideas yeah. So it, it, it's the the, the uh, number of interpretations is almost uh, 
uh, unscalable. To God, you do know what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, well, exactly. That's for the grades to decide. You know, <laughs> a bribe a day keeps. It's the, for the uh, listeners to the beat. Yeah, the the, 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 gra- the grades or the failure or an actor, oh. you know, whatever. I <laughs> see. So basically, from from my reading, Aristotle is ultimately saying that in order to reach a state of flourishing, of mm. happiness, of harmony of connection to a divine source of spirit, you know, all of this. You know, in our minds, we can think, you know, we always think, look, we, we are here today, could we be better? Could we be better as individuals? Mm. I think that's a very natural inclination and it drives us forward, it pushes, it pushes us to ever greater feats. Mm. And Aristotle's question is, can we ever, what is the ultimate uh, human how far can we get? How far can we assail up this concept of human flourishing? And and what would it look like? What would it consist of? How do we get there? So these are very important questions. Uh, and and you know, it, and if it just goes up and up, this desire is baseless. It has no reality to it, mm. and therefore it should be disregarded. And instead, we should just be focusing on like the beasts of the fields simple pleasures you know we shouldn't even bother with 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 uh rational discovery we should just be eating drinking we should be gluttons <laughs> but you know yeah. very few people believe that we can't improve we know we can improve is there a, is there a cap on our ability to prove anyway so he goes on like this and then he says look we we have um we we are endowed with reason and we can use that reason to make good judgments we Mm. can use it to um act in accordance with our faculties and if we act in accordance with reason then we will ultimately surround ourselves with goods and you know it's like a, a child with lots of toys you surround yourself with nice things it's going to make you happier but those nice things, those good things, oh, um, in, he says, enable us to reach high, higher levels of flourishing. Mm. And I, I think what he also says is that our ability, the, the, more, the more good things we surround ourselves with, and the, the, the better we are able to use reason as a tool to act in accordance with virtue, um, the, the more likely we are to improve. Mm. I don't know. I, I, I bet there's someone out there who can actually uh, read fluent Greek who would absolutely slate that quite mediocre description oh, no, of I'm Aristotle. Sure that was, I'm sure that was brilliant. I know it was brilliant. Oh, thank you, Christy. <laughs> I, I think maybe uh, we'd be Sven is... <laughs> Sven is probably loving this. <laughs> yeah, I think Sven is, is building a long ship to, to raid Lindisfarne again. Bolster the Scandinavian economy. <laughs> along the coastlines of Britain. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I always finish off this podcast with this, you know, with a small section on your time at Kings and how you're, in, you know, what, mm. you know, do you have anything to say about Kings? Oh, do you have back <laughs> demons! Back demons of the night! <laughs> what trauma, Chrissy? Why would you elicit such trauma? <laughs> I was going to ask you what your favourite place on campus was. or but, I mean, oh. you can tell me about your trauma if you want no, to. <laughs> <laughs> um, kings, kings, the, the dragon of, of 
debauchery <laughs> I need to oh god well I mean well what would I, I often think what would Arthur Wellesley think of kings he fought his duel <laughs> over this establishment the yeah. Iron Duke yeah so I, I think we should all try and live up to his name yeah. and, his, <laughs> and his willingness to actually die over, the, over KCL right. so I'd say as long as I think there's certain aspects of kings which are, 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 are you know, old, old, old uh, nosy would still be proud of. <laughs> he, he beat back Napoleon, and now only he beat back Boney at Waterloo. We beat back the um, the degeneracy and moral corruption of our age. And I think kings is still a shining bastion. More, um. it's, more, it's definitely the more library. It's a beautiful building. Yes. Okay, is that the answer to the question, yes. the Morn Library? Okay. Well, thank you, Strabo. Do you have any closing remarks? Um, just, uh, you know, come to King's... Live, laugh, love. King's Live. College, London. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>